Hello and welcome to another episode of the Game of Loans podcast and today I'm very very happy to be joined by Alex Hearn. Alex is one half of Sealance Hearn uh, Quantity Surveyors and Project Managers and it was really really important to get Alex onto the show because we actually had, I've tried to steer clear of the sort of doom and gloom surrounding coronavirus and things like that but given Alex is kind of standing in in the market in his position. It was really, really great to have Alex on to talk about kind of what surveyors have been doing, um, you know, during lockdown and kind of where things are going over the next few weeks. Obviously, we've recently had an announcement um, this last week just gone about kind of the property market opening up um, at the time of this being recorded. And so I spoke to Alex in quite a lot of detail about what he's going to be doing, how, where he sees the market going um, and um, and actually sort of in, in a wider way, you know, the value of project managers, quantity surveyors for developers. So really, really interesting, you know, really good old-fashioned property episode today so i really hope you enjoy it if you do don't forget to subscribe rate and review um but without further ado here's my interview with alex hearn hello and welcome to another episode of the game alone's podcast and today i'm very very happy to be joined by a good friend of mine alex hearn from sealant's hearn alex how are you doing yeah good thanks sam good to um good to finally finally get back online now the um now the connection is um, stable, let's call it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We, um, for the listeners, we Alex and I have tried this a couple of times and it hasn't quite worked. So, so hopefully we'll, we'll be okay this time. Um, but look, Alex, for, for those that, that are listening that, that haven't come across you before, um, give us a quick background as to, as to who you are and what you do. Yeah, great. Um, so yeah, obviously I'm Alex Hearn. We, I've recently set up, well actually last year, um, set up my own building consultancy practice um, but with my business partner David Sillance. Um, so we, so our practice, we are both chartered building surveyors um, and we provide sort of the whole suite of commercial surveying, um, surveying duties really. So um, that goes from David's more versed in the sort of professional services, which is party wall surveying, a lot of dilapidations and landlord and tenant matters. Um, and so I focus more on the project side of things, so project management, project monitoring, um, and and yeah, and, 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 and sort of development and developer-led services. Um, I mean, me personally, I mean, I I studied at University West of England, um, up in Bristol, did a degree in building surveying, um, which I kind of fell into really. I don't think anyone anyone um, grows up thinking they want to do a degree in building surveying. It's it's um same as building No, I went down the um my because basically my my father's a builder, had his own um like building company. I mean, like like most people in property, you you've either grown up on a building site or you've you 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 kind of so someone in your family's in in property, which inspires you to do it. Um, so yeah, I sort of grew up um helping him tile a roof or or fit a bathroom or something on my days off or, or summer holidays um and I always remember there was one cold really cold January morning when we were up on this roof um and I just remember this life is not for me I don't want to be this this um burly builder freezing my nuts off on, on a January on, on, on a roof so yeah that, that that kind of led me what's the next sort of best best solution where you can still have that sort of mix um of being a little bit hands-on and and sociable as, as the property construction industry is without um, having to do the hard graft. And I sort of landed in between architecture and surveying. Realised architecture is a seven-year degree and requires a hell of a lot of learning and and um, uh, and a lot a lot, a lot better um, results. So I kind of landed in surveying and it, and it kind of went from there. 
Um, and I haven't, I haven't looked back really. I mean, it's been, it's uh, it's 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 gone it's gone well, um, and it's it's quite a it's quite a bit, it's it's a really sort of sociable um, sociable angle to go down really for other people that are in the same sort of position where they don't really know um, where they want to land in a property industry, um, but want to get a good exposure across different sectors of the market. Um, yeah. So yeah, so obviously um, just graduated from uni with a two one, went into private practice for. For six years um, at my um, firm I was at, the only firm I was at before I started on my own, um, who were a small multidisciplinary practice in the, actually in the New Forest. Um, so they're quite sort of traditional, as you'd, as you'd sort of um, uh, sort of appreciate being, being in the commercial property sector, I mean traditional sort of um, surveying and architectural practice. Um, and and then kind of thought, oh, it's now the time is here, let's, um, let's try something. Um, and and here we are today. <laughs> yeah, Joe's. I, I didn't realise your dad was builder. Uh, we, me and you have had a very similar life. <laughs> my, my dad's builder too. <laughs> and and I remember I, I um, not not to sort of uh, go off on too much of a tangent, but I remember having a really similar epiphany to you. Uh, well, probably a couple of epiphanies actually, because um, yeah, I did the same sort of thing. Came out union and sort of worked with my dad for a bit, and um, and definitely thought, yeah, this this is is too cold and wet and horrible and, and grimy and. Uh, and I'm, not, and I'm not sure also that my, my gut can take it going out and having beers after work every single day. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but also, me, me and my dad did a development um, back in 2010 on a property up in North London. And, um, and the, the job role was meant to be that dad and his building team do the building work. I'll find the property, do the, do the analysis, get the funding, all that kind of stuff. And I remember, I think it was like the 23rd of December. So it was just before Christmas. It was so cold. And it was about 8 o'clock at night. And me and dad were under the floorboards running like wires and I thought what the hell am I doing <laughs> this is this is not what I signed up for and I've I, I kind of taken at that time I was self-employed as a broker and I kind of put it was it was development first brokering was secondary um and I thought nah nah let's let's uh, let's switch this back around because my office is actually quite nice and warm um and uh, yeah and I'm not lying in puddles with rats all over me and stuff so um yeah <laughs> I can certainly appreciate that that epiphany that you you had um but um, Alex, you know, look, we, we, were, we were talking off air a little bit. I mentioned about um, uh, you know, what, what's been going on this week. Uh, well, obviously, when, when this podcast goes out, it'll probably be last week uh, in terms of we had Boris's address, which was um, saying that we were sort of on the road to relaxing lockdown rules. And, uh, and then obviously on Tuesday, the following Tuesday, we had a bit more of an announcement that effectively the property market was back open for business. Um, what, what sort of impacts are you, are you seeing in your business on with regards to that? Or have you seen anything at all just yet? Or is it too early to say? No, I mean, we have, we have seen a, a increase in activity this week, definitely. I mean, I think it's where we had a lot of pent up uh, instructions as well where we couldn't actually get access because that's due for many reasons either someone's not in work or keys aren't available keys are in the office no one's in the office etc or um or someone doesn't want to doesn't doesn't want to come and let you in um so we've got sort of a handful of those which have now resurged back into life this week um which is good um and obviously with the announcement like you said about the housing market um having to having to start back up then um obviously a lot of the more residential services have had to resume as well. Um, and where they, where they sort of, they have published guidance working other people's homes, which we've been frantically, um, actually I've left that to my business partner, but he's been frantically going through all of the, all of the, the, the very detailed guidance. And we've sort of been having to update our, 
our COVID-19 risk assessment that we have to send out before we instruct and get waivers and signatures, et cetera, to make sure that um, they can be complied with. Um, but it does put a lot of emphasis on the employer to get these things right, because it's difficult to manage, it's still difficult to manage the whole situation, um, especially when you're sending out an, uh, another surveyor um, to a site and it's it's where that where that balance lies between um, being commercially viable and and, and and obviously looking after and making your making sure your employees are safe to be honest um, but I think it all boils down to common sense really um, and I think you do get the sense of when you're taking an instruction whether that person's gonna um, firstly if they're comfortable to let you in and secondly if they if they are aware of the guidance and and making sure our duty is to make sure that they're aware that they have to abide by their end as well as ours. So, um, but I mean, it's the standards really stuff really. So it's, it's kind of going back down to our, just making sure all the doors are open. Uh, when we come around, make sure you vacate the property, um, make sure there's ventilated so windows are open. Um, and obviously we, we would just ensure our surveys are equipped with the appropriate PPE, anti-back and wipes, etc. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's common stuff, but it just needs to be dot the I's and cross the T's. Um, but as, as a whole, I mean, I've rambled on a bit about this quite specific risk assessment there, but I mean, it's um, as a whole, I mean, yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot more activity coming through. And I think where, um, and actually a lot, of, a lot of things happening again in London, um, which obviously is where the, a lot of pent up frustration was, um, and, and which is always a good sign really for the rest of the market. Yeah, I've had a lot of people asking me sort of similar questions, um, which have been along the lines of, okay, so the property market's open now, so I'm assuming everything's back to normal. Um, and I always sort of say, well, no, it doesn't quite work like that. There's always going to be a bit of a delay and it's going to be, it's going to take a bit of time for things to start getting back to, to normal. I'm calling it a temporary norm rather than a new, a new norm. Um, because we're in this kind of transition period where actually we're not really out of lockdown, um, but we're but we're kind of being instructed in some instances mm -hmm. to go back to the way that we were before. Um, but I suppose you know we, we're going to have to to sort of wait and see. I think as to to what sort of effect this is going to have. But but certainly one thing that I, I think I, I was saying a little while ago, which probably might be. Um, more more negative than it might actually turn out to be as I was talking about kind of the, the recovery and how I saw that going and I was talking more of a kind of a u-shaped recovery rather than a v-shaped recovery which some people are suggesting would happen um, but with with these kind of changes and with the market opening up as, as we've said do you think that this is going to do you think this is actually going to speed up um, a recovery in the pro in the property sector significantly or do you still think we're going to have to go through the motions of, of getting used to to how things are and, and getting back to a normal, normal sort of normality. I think I think it would show. That's a good question. I think it would show a, 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 a sort of a um, an immediate little spike because, like I said, it will be the pent up stuff, which there's already been months and months of planning to get that to get it to that stage where we we become involved. So obviously, it has to go through legal funding, planning, whatever whatever area you're in. We're just a cog in that wheel. So there's obviously you've got to appreciate that there's probably three or four months work. And probably six months eight months work within the client's mind to get the deal to that stage before we're even involved mm. so that's just pent up pent up deals that are where people financially commit need to get done so obviously that will increase a little bit of economic activity but i think yeah i think like you said new stuff will still be if 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 the client developer purchaser investor whatever ha haven't financially committed to something yet 
um, or it's not an immediate business requirement, I don't think that they're going to be suddenly going, oh no, the government have said, let's get back to normal, let's let's buy that or let's lease that office. I think they still need a, that six month, three month transition period to see where the market is um, to make that make that business decision. So yeah, I think it's um, I think it's going to be a longer recovery than oh today's back to normal. Let's let's get let's get going. Um, and you've got to remember as well, coming from our side of things, we're a very small business. We're essentially a startup, so where there's other firms, the larger firms like CBRE, LSH, and even the biggest listers, they're going to take a lot longer to get their processes up together before they can again service clients. So th that's going to slow it down immediately to start with as well. So yeah, I think it's a um, I think it's a, it's a three to six month process really until we know where the where the market actually stands and obviously that 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 coincides with the furlough extension so that's obviously been extended to october so again that has an impact on you don't really know where a lot of businesses actually are in respect to cash flow and profit until that period is over yeah um so yeah there's a lot there's still a lot of moving parts and i think it's too early to make a make an assumption that we're on the road to recovery um it's um it's going to play out over the next next month or so and I suppose another thing as well, uh, and you could probably comment on, on this um, pretty well, I, I'd imagine, is you know I, I'm getting uh, um, emails through from lenders constantly saying, oh, you know, yeah, we're going to we're going to be starting to do physical valuations again, and and that's all well and good, and lenders saying, yeah, we're, we're happy to 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 get surveyors out, and we're going to we get we are we have this process in place, but also you, you actually think, well, hang on a second, how many surveyors actually want to put themselves potentially at risk? To go and visit especially you know, it might be different from your your perspective alex if you're going to visit sites and that kind of stuff but the smaller you know surveyors that are going to just visit single units for remortgages for example you know how likely is it that actually a lot of those are going to want to return to that sort of work because of the potential risk it could be to themselves and their families well exactly that and it's yeah i mean a lot of them uh, a lot of a lot of surveyors are are older than older than me, except etc. Like my bills, like my partner. Sorry, he's um he's mid fifties, has asthma. Um, so I mean, it's people that are in that in that remit. It's probably makes up 25 percent of surveyors. Probably I imagine over over forty five fifty. So they would be classed as in the in the medium to high risk category, and they they are essentially going to um be a little bit more cautious than than maybe me or you are about going to site and, and undertaking inspections. So absolutely. Um, so yeah, I think I think again that's another very good point that that's going to impact upon um, productivity definitely and and deliver deliverability of, of of getting the housing market back on point. But like I said again, it, and it, there's a lot of emphasis on the employer to get it right because where it said look if you need to, if you can't work from home, then you can go back to work now. But again, it's, it's where where to say where do you stand as an employer if someone goes in to do an inspection, you you comply with your the government guidelines but then they get they get the virus and something really bad happens to them i mean who knows where what position that what that, that lands you in so yeah. it's a double-edged sword really <laughs> exactly and, and, and you know, I, was, I think I, I think it might have been actually just talking to my wife about um we'll be watching the announcement on, on sunday uh, and boris was saying you know if if you're in a job where you can't work from home Basically, he was saying you're allowed to go in tomorrow, but it isn't quite as simple as I mean, it's good that, that it was just right. You know, we, we are lifting those those restrictions straight away. We're not going to do a leading. And I know it kind of there was this kind of a, then a, a backtracking and I think it became Wednesday. But even so, you, know, you can't just expect, you know, you've mentioned 
you have all this new sort of COVID-19 regulation that you have to adhere to in order to do your job to, to the standard that is required of you. That isn't just a, right, okay, click our fingers, we now know it, and we're just going to implement it the same day. It's a, it's a bit of run-up time. You, have to, you actually have to work towards something like that. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think I, a lot of other business owners and surveying firms that I've been speaking to, RER referrers or just general firms we work with, um, I don't know one firm that's back in the office yet. And I, I don't think one firm that I know one firm that's thinking about going back into the office yet. Obviously, they've all been set up at home um, and and they, they're quite comfortable with that. And they, they're, they're also sort of querying as to whether going back into the office, the way their desks are laid out sharing toilet facilities, I mean, how, how can that be managed? How, how, again, how does it sit if, if there was an outbreak or someone had COVID, someone had symptoms? It's just, it's just so many ifs and buts yet. And I think it's, it's just too early to, for those, for looking at it from an employer's angle to sort of take that, be that guinea pig and take that risk um, and put your employees at that risk really until you kind of know, know it's really sort of um, calmed down or, or the guidance is really clear. So yeah. But I suppose from I know that there's a massive aspect of your of your job um, that actually does involve the interaction physically with other people going to visit sites and stuff like that. But there is also a large proportion of your of your role that you could you could do anywhere. So do you, do you envisage there actually being a long term change just in terms of the surveyors market in terms of how they go about working? Where basically you know you were mentioning off air that your your other half's are trying to tempt you up to work in, in the West Midlands, but with your business partner and your business being based in Southampton, could you see that being you know a possibility for that to actually happen um, in, in the future with with kind of how we've got used to working remotely? Yeah, I mean, we when we launched the business, my 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 view was um, that we wanted to. Um, have it so our surveyors could work remotely. We didn't want the big overhead of the big office and and the big bills that go with that. We we're all cloud-based technologies, so we can be quite flexible. Um, and our consultant surveyor, um, he works from remotely and probably he's been in the office two or three times in the in the sort of six-month period he's been working with us. So um, that was always my my view is that you don't need to all be together um, and you can work remotely. So um, but I think, again, it comes down to the larger firms, whether they feel like they, they want to implement that. Um, and the larger firms, which are already on long leases for buildings, got three or five years left to go. I don't think they're going to make those decisions overnight. I think it might make them think at their na- next lease event, OK, well, could we do this from home? We've spent all this money on cloud-based technologies, monitoring apps, etc. Um, do we need this office? Um, but yeah, I think I think it will be the office market's definitely in for a shake-up, and I think that it's there's going to be a, another surge of office to resi conversions. I think potentially with the next the next tier of stock being converted again now, and also it's going to be a rise for co-working co-working firms and smaller flexible leases. Um, and it's going to be an occupier-driven market really um, for offices moving forward. I, it's funny actually you say that. I, I've heard I've heard that quite a lot recently, where they think that a big trend over the next five years is going to be an increase in these in the office to resi conversions. I think probably we need to be careful that we don't go too far in that direction because obviously offices are still going to be necessary. There are lots of um, companies out there that still do require that kind of facility, and I think also there are. Um, and I suppose I was thinking about this the other day as to to how much pushback there's going to be, but there's still businesses out there that just prefer 
you know the preference is to have people in an office i know that um, mm. the guys that run bond finance you know they, they're very very into having us all there as often as possible obviously I, i'm i'm working remotely a lot of the time from the west midlands but they like having that central hub in london um so i don't think that's that's going to go away um anytime soon completely but it might just change that dynamic of you know hot desking and, and that and that sort of thing but um but yeah, on that, um, you mentioned about the, the sort of the commercial Terezi conversions. Do you think also that the, we've, we've been hearing, I mean, God knows how long this has been going on for with the government continually saying that there's a housing shortage and they, they're having this plan and that plan, you know, it's been going on for decades. Could you, could you see there actually being some kind of maybe changes in terms of the, the, the planning regulations and stuff like that and much more PD options given to to sort of those types of sites in order to, to help the, the government's plans to create more, more houses and more, more residential units. Yeah. Yeah. Potentially. I think, um, I think that they're definitely going to, I mean, I think, I think a lot of that's going to come around the high street as well. I think that there's going to be a lot more permit development waivers around upper parts, converting sections of shops, um, back parts of shops, et cetera, and just leaving a smaller front front retail space. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, officer, they, they, they should, and I think they will extend office to office to resi PD, PD rights. Um, but then again, I think that another thing, looking at it from a housing requirement, I mean, obviously there's always going to be a requirement for six cent housing, but for those people that have a preference or able, or, or um, maybe maybe this sort of slightly upper market. I mean, for example, myself, where I live in a I live in town centre in Southampton at the moment in a, in a flat, which it's lovely. I mean, the marina's a short walk away, but it's um, also been stuck in the flat for eight weeks. This has got me thinking, and on right move almost every night, looking for a house with a nice garden. And I think <laughs> there will be <laughs> there will be a percentage of people that um, will now be thinking, well, there were the market demands will change for a garden in the suburbs from that sort of from that city centre sort of living living um, arrangement. Yeah. Um, so and and again that's going to drive valuations as well probably the demand. So yeah, it's um it's going to be interesting to see how it all unfolds. But yeah, I mean back to the, on the planning, it's I think they they're going to have to both from just getting um, economic activity back in the sector. They're definitely going to have that's definitely going to be a good way they can do it. As obviously stamp duty and then then relaxing the planning rights. So the two main the main drivers I feel. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I agree with you massively there. Um, but look, coming off the sort of the negative topic of COVID-19 and lockdown and all that kind of stuff, um, we, we've been, certainly you and I have been talking quite a lot recently about um, the, the importance of the role that you do. Um, and especially when I think about a lot of my clients that, um, you know, when I'm, talk, when I'm looking at a, a proposition that the developer would come to me with and they need some funding, um, the, the big things that we, we look at are their experience um, and the team that they're putting around them. And more often than not, one of the things that they overlook and they don't see the, the, the relevance or the importance of is, is that the sort of the construction team and the, the, the project manager. Because lenders very much like to see that, um, well, that they, they want to de-risk themselves. And they do that by lending to people with the experience of being able to show that they've done similar projects before. Um, often this seems to, to, the issues here seem to occur when I've got somebody who is going from maybe to doing some relatively small development work. It might be single unit, you know, it might be converting a house to three flats or four flats or something like that. To taking it to that kind of next level where there's, the, the project just grows 
to from that to something just a little a little bit bigger. Um, and we were talking, we've been talking off air about the importance of, of that that project manager. Um, and certainly, I I can I can see that from from your perspective. Have you kind of encountered uh, that kind of issue before, where you know you've got I suppose you're having to come in and, and, and do that sort of job, manage, um, manage a project for maybe somebody that hasn't got all that much experience and how have you sort of dealt with that? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's, um, we, we've managed projects from there, like the likes of a lot of office to resi stuff, which is anywhere from sort of three units to, to sort of 12, 15 units and upwards actually. Um, we do a lot of commercial PM and also, yeah, the smaller scale sort of resi stuff, which is house converted in the flats or small, small scale new builds. Um, the, a lot of the people, a lot of the time people don't realize that it's, although it seems um, quite straightforward to take that wall out, build a wall there and, um, and convert into, convert a house into say three flats, there's a lot of statutory requirements as well. So you've got to think about building the trail, you've got to think about utilities, how you get the utilities in, you have you built them into your program, um, have you built them into cash flow, um, etc. So, it's, I mean, and a lot of people think that, that small scale size is they probably don't want to build that 20 grand in, 15 grand in for a PM because they want they see that as their bottom line and, their, and that goes in their pocket, but they don't appreciate that, that that could then save them a month, six weeks, or your PM might be able to come up with a different um, way it's programmed or different use of materials, value engineer the scheme or or add value really so that that's the key point really is that they that 15 20 grand usually isn't wasted and and also it's the opportunity cost as well if you're if you're a busy developer doing housing um doing smaller schemes like that do you want to be bogged down in in ringing up ssc or ringing up virgin media trying to get them in when someone else can do that and you can be looking at other sites or finding other opportunities um so yeah and, and the role the role obviously adapts per client and per their experience and per their requirements so where we would potentially come on as a project manager to give them um, experience in the lender's eyes we don't have to be the full PM role we can be like a monitoring role where we just do um, we're like a support role so we're on the end of the phone any issues we, we assist with the program the budget um, the initial design stage and then we can just provide sort of support throughout the throughout the construction if it is a straightforward construction because if you've got your ducks in the row at the start there shouldn't really be a need on that sort of scale project to be on site weekly um geeing up the builder really <laughs> yeah I, I mean I, I talk about um well I think the and especially we were talking about kind of re working remotely and all this kind of stuff before and I suppose it, it ties into that a little bit that a lot of people a lot of people thinking about their businesses and, and what they can do and this all ties into I think like the outsourcing part of this in that you know as a, as a developer, as someone that wants to get into property or wants to grow, uh, you know, a business within property, um, I, I fully, I fully endorse people to try things. You know, look, you look at the entire, all the different jobs that a developer could do from, you know, from initially doing a viewing on a site all the way through to, to completing it and, and figuring out how they're going to sell it on the back end with, you know, with, 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 uh, you know, maybe some kind of, um, contract with a with an agent or selling the site to a pension fund or whatever it might be all those di different jobs in the middle they should have a true understanding of those but your what you hit on there which I think is absolutely right is they then need to start focusing on actually what are their what I would call their in income generating tasks what are the things on a daily basis that are going to lead to them being more successful in their business 
and you, the, the one the one thing about Pixel One there was yeah how you know, do they really need to be calling Virgin Media you know do they really be needing to do these little tiny little jobs and that that's it, it, no is the answer and I think that's they're the little things that a lot of developers maybe miss out on is that for every task that someone else is doing it actually allows you the time to be doing something that's going to actually increase your business and you can focus on the, the seven or eight jobs within the 30 40 jobs that needs to be done to be a developer that actually you're good at you enjoy and and you know that you can add value and actually build your business forward so i suppose from that perspective that makes what you're saying kind of just for, for me it's a no-brainer to, to have someone like yourself on board yeah exactly and i mean i mean it's like the same in our business i mean I'd, i'm not I'm not that IT savvy, so I would employ, I employ someone to do manage the IT systems and 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 um, be our be our IT support. And same with recruitment. I mean, we would just use someone else, a freelancer, to recruit. So I'm not involved with those parts of the business which help me build my business. But obviously, I outsource them to to experts who obviously charge. And it's the same. It's exactly the same scenario that you're talking about, isn't it? Really, that that it's um. They have to the the sort of SME developers need to see the value in having someone there that can that can save them a lot of time and pain, um, as well as let helping them secure secure the funding at the outset. Um, it's the experience as well. It's it's. Um, I was talking on, on a previous podcast episode with a friend of mine, uh, Matt State, who was a solicitor, and he you know really really good good solicitor. And one of the things he said was his experience allows him to be uh, proactive instead of reactive. And I think when it comes to developing, that is such an important focus as well with the experience that yourself and your business partner have got you can you know right at the very beginning you can get involved and envisage the issues that potentially are going to occur and put, mm. put plans in place to make sure that they don't they don't cause significant damage that's that's the most important part is the out is doing the outset if you set up the if you just spend that a little bit extra time and money at the outset getting your program right getting your tender process right getting making sure you've got the right contractor on board um and, and getting a contract in place because once the contract's in place and all that's all set up with stage payments um it makes life a lot easier and clearer for everyone i mean the the issues in construction that you come about are due to miss wrong information no information or or miscommunication really as the three points and if you've outlined procedures for all of those for document sharing um and communication lines at the start then then it fingers crossed it would it should go to plan yeah absolutely and you, you just you just whenever you're saying stuff you're ticking stuff in my mind i'm thinking i need to ask you about this because um, i was thinking i was thinking about this before we, we got on, on on air actually is in terms of the process and so when you know when when in the process do you think that yourself should start to become become involved it, you know, would it be that literally as soon as a, a potential client has seen a site to actually get you guys involved to start checking over things and, and looking over things for them as they would maybe an architect or somebody like that or is it a little bit further down the line and how does that process then then work in terms of your your role throughout the entire entire build uh it varies but i'm just trying to sort of think about different clients that we act for i mean it varies i mean some clients i would go to initial initial visits with and just give them my give them my thoughts on on the site any concerns um Say if you're if you're buying an infill site and um, and the access is really difficult and you're looking to do prefab on there or something like that. I mean, you've got to think about how you're going to get materials on site, how the extra cost that's going to incur, where utilities are on site at the moment, how much it's going to take to get over to there, etc., etc. Stuff, basic stuff, but it's all stuff that adds value and allows you to sort of 
build that day one really clear picture on program and budget because that's where you've got to work back from. Um, but then at other times we would come in um, once the architect's done their drawings, so they've done their, their sort of um, initial sketch scheme or uh, feasibility study, we would then come in and just put some rough numbers on uh, and outline programming risks um, on, on those plans really. Um, so yeah, so I mean, that's, that's any later than that really, it starts to get a little bit, well, not difficult, but it's best, best for us to have a clear picture early. Um, and it's, there's not really much cost from our angle there for us getting, a, getting us involved that early. It just gives you a really clear picture um, of where you're gonna be. Um, and one of, the, one of the biggest bugbears I have, let's say, with, um, with, with, the, with how some developers set up at the outset is they think, oh, if they smack a five to 10% contingency in there, that will cover everything. They, they don't need to worry about, they worry about thinking about that too much at the moment. But your contingency has got to be based upon the risk of the project really it's 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 all depends on the abnormals and 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 the site specific risks so yeah um i'd always say that needs to be thought about um more it's funny depth. you say that i because i i this is sorry you know this is why i love doing these podcasts actually as well because i i learn um from these things but i i always talk to clients and when we're putting together our sort of development appraisals we look at, you know, I always say, you know, just, just chuck on a 10% contingency. But in reality, they should probably be making sure that that is realistic. I mean, look, it's, it's fine to chuck in the 10% contingency because that's actually just what, what lenders do, to be quite honest, to make sure that they are comfortable with, uh, with the lending aspect. <clears throat> but from the developer's point of view, it should be even more important, really, for them to, to, to dive a little deeper into that and to make sure that that, that contingency, sh- you know, is enough. Um, because it's just well, understanding what that really means. Well, yeah, exactly. And coming from our angle, I mean, if we going through the stages, if we got to tender stage, so we've done an initial budget, we've done the initial drawings, we've tendered it, and we've got a agreed contract sum with the builder. At that stage, we'd also then still add a five ten percent contingency. So at the outset, you're thinking you might not need. Uh, you, if anything, your contingency should be much larger. If not, why not try to bottom out what that contingency is for? Why are you putting that contingency on there? What are you thinking is going to go wrong? Why can't you put allocate numbers against those items at that stage? Um, so yeah, it's it's all about just trying to get certainty, really. Yeah, it's just, and that's something I hadn't even thought about. So um, so thanks for for explaining that because <laughs> it makes it makes perfect sense. And look, I, I'm a big fan, and, and this is. And I'll be completely honest. I've lost clients because because of this because of the way that I am. Is I'm very uh, meticulous with with clients, and I want to make sure that we we really do, cut, you know, overturn every single stone and, and make sure that everything is is covered off. Um, because from my perspective as well, you know, I, I'm responsible for going to a lender and saying to them, "You should do this deal." So. Let's, let's tick a box in there, but then now I just need you to come back and say how much is it gonna cost them for you to do this deal. Um, and the worst thing in the world is when I do actually have a client who will say, well, look, I just, want, I just want a rough idea of what I can get. Well, that doesn't help anyone because actually what we wanna do is let's put, so if, if you're serious about this site, all that says to me is if someone says, I just want a rough idea, is, is you're not serious. You know, if you, if you are serious about this site could be something that you're gonna take on, then let's do some work. That's actually, you know, 
do some grind and, and get crunch some numbers, get documents together um, and, and, and flesh this out so that it's not just a bit of a skeleton. And that basically just comes back to what, what you were saying in that I just think that the people, should, developers on the whole, should do more work up front to, to make sure that they are, um, you know, no stones unturned and they are actually making sure, as you said, if they're putting in a 10% contingency, actually, what does that involve? What are they thinking about could go wrong? And actually including that in, in the budget? Because if it comes in under budget, brilliant. Yeah, exactly. And I think I, I, I do get the I do get the um the really high level the need for a really high level appraisal, like I'll just stick a fifteen hundred quid a square meter on it, um, just so, so we can see where it goes um and see if there's actually worth us looking at it. But then there's another stage there. So there's there's taking that stage and thinking, okay. I've found the site. I like the look of it. But then, once you like the look of it and it works, why don't you try and bottom out some of that, some of the unknowns? And it's just it's that stage there was missing. Um, they kind of work on they work on their initial high level appraisal. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we so we've got that we've got to that stage there. So so what happens next from the, from your client's perspective is you know they, they go in they you know they they purchase the site um, and uh, all the funding's arranged. What, what's the next stage in terms of what you and, and your team get involved with? Um, so we would, depending on, again, the size of the site, I mean, if, if it's a reasonable site development, we would then sort of appoint all the other consultants. So we'd appoint the, uh, write all the appointment documents, which, again, is another thing that's read, um, overlooked quite a lot of the time, is you want good appointment documents for your architect, defining their roles, architect, engineer, SAP assessor, um, et cetera, et cetera, utilities consultant, it may be. Um, and then obviously making sure that they all know exactly what they need to deliver with delivery timescales. Um, and then sort of collating all the information, running, running a design team meeting or two, um, ensuring all the design information is collated into like a tender package, um, liaising with building control, getting them on board um, and getting it into a um, commercial tender package to send out to contractors. Um, for pricing um, and then obviously we've managed the procurement process once you've got the prices back agreed a contract sum um, bottomed out any value engineering items because usually another thing is really good useful actually which is probably worth discussing is the tender process a lot of people miss that they think oh I know this builder let's go with him I, I quite like him he's, he's done a good job for him but you don't realize if you have a tender process of three or four contractors all pricing it you'll get nuggets of information from them that you may have missed. So they might say, oh, you can do that a lot cheaper in this, in this material, or they will offer um, insights or value engineering options, which will then, even if you don't go with that contract, you could build into another contractor's price and use it. So it's having more sets of eyes of practical people on the contract before you even build. So I always yeah. really recommend it. Yeah, it takes, it takes a bit of time. It takes about probably two or three, four weeks, um, but it's definitely worth it. Um, and then, setting the contract as well, setting up the um, setting up all the warranty requirements that your lender, the lender might be insisting on, um, setting up all the warranty requirements for the consultants is, is, a, is a common one at the moment. So you class warranties with your engineer and your architects. Um, and, then, and then site monitoring. So, so doing them, running the monthly fortnightly project meetings, um, handover process. If we're acting as a PM, then we meet with them the drawdown surveyor, which we also act for, obviously for the monitoring uh, and the monitoring role as a separate entity. So managing that process. So really the client interface, I like to say that 
we could offer it where the client really doesn't need to be involved at all, to be honest. I mean, the client is a total hands-off service. Um, so yeah, so I mean, it, it's, it, it's that, that, that's kind of the process we would follow. And then obviously you get to the completion, you manage the snagging process, um, the handover, if there's any, um, if there's any obviously managing all the documentation you need to get over for the warranties um, and collate all of that into a, into a handover package. So um, it's funny you yeah. mentioned, I was going to ask you about how, uh, how often you actually would have interaction um, with the client. Cause I, you know, you watch things like, um, like grand designs and uh, it, it feels like the, it feels like the, the client is like on site every single day, you know, checking over on, on your back constantly, checking over what, what you're doing. But I imagine the reality... Oh, there are, there are five type of clients, yeah. Are there? Oh, it, it, I, I, I can... Look, I, I know... Look, this is, this is going out and people are going to be listening to that, so I need to kind of be careful a little bit about what I say. But <laughs> I, I know, um, and I think there's a lot of comparisons between the two roles that you and I do. Um, obviously very much sort of client focused and I have to say not not you know you have to you have to deal with every single client individually and you have to you have to look after the way that and you have to do things kind of in, in a way the way that they want to be doing anything if, if they want communication constantly you know they need um, to be told just when there's no there's no updates uh, or, or nothing's gone wrong then that, that's fair enough but there's nothing better for me than a client that just says Sam I trust you go off do it. Just let me. Just let me know when the when the key yeah. when the key things occur. And I imagine that's probably the same for you. Is it, it's it's nice when you just you can just be left to get to, you know to your own devices and you don't have the uh, the grand design scenario where you've got you know well, an elderly couple on site every day. Exactly that. And I mean, it's that's another thing where it becomes confusing because if the client they they've got you as a PM, so it's down when you're instructed as PM, it's down to you to deliver the job. So they don't they 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 can put the pressure on you. Mm. Um, which is fine, um, but then don't they, the, the clients that go to site and being, start talking to the builder about, oh, I want tiling here instead of there, and um, I want this wall moved, etc. that's when it becomes murky for everyone, because then that's variations, that's extensions of time, that's additional costs, additional, um, additional instructions. Just channel it all through, through your PM, um, and, and they will make sure that whatever they're instructing the contractor to do, is cost efficient and and in line with the contract um, yeah. which is key i suppose what we were saying at the beginning of this with um with like the the, the introduction of uh, remote technology like we're using now with zoom um i suppose actually as well hopefully that will mean that your uh, interactions with with people can actually be done more remotely as well and that would improve the client i suppose as well wouldn't it you could actually say look um you know you don't need to come down to site i'm going to jump on a zoom call with you i've got it on my phone I'll, uh, I'll show you, you know, and, uh, and yeah. doing things like that. Do you, do you see that becoming part of your role? Yeah, I can do. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a really good point, actually. It's something we've been, we've been looking into. I mean, usually historically we would do a weekly report um, via email with photos, maybe the odd video, but yeah, I mean, I don't see um, as long as a client has technology to facilitate it, then we can't do a walk around or, or a, a brief video call. Um, yeah. And I think, yeah, that again, that's another good thing that's come out of, come out of the current situation is everyone can use zoom um even my nan and granddad are on it at the moment so yeah anyone can use it. <laughs> yeah I, do you know I, I was thinking about this because i was because you know as, as i was just saying before client interaction I, it is really really important and one of the things that I've, I've started doing is you know if i've got usually if it's a developer when i say developer usually there are more than one person involved usually it's a partnership or two or three people um and so i usually set up like a whatsapp group and if there's 
um, you know, if there is somebody like a project manager like yourself involved or, um, you know, solicitors at that sort of stage, everyone's in that group. It's entitled the, the name of the project um, and everyone could just keep, keep in contact. But actually, that they tend to be quite frustrating because then my phone just is non-stop all day, even with stuff that I'm not, not involved with. So I've certainly said that, you know, I, I really want to try and use Zoom a lot more for, for client calls uh, as long as the clients are comfortable with it. Um, moving forward because you know i do still have quite a lot of clients that will come into my office and we will conduct what we would call you know an old school like mortgage mortgage meeting um which i've replaced really with what i call strategy calls which are you know a 30 minute first time i'm speaking to the, to the client let's just get some ideas down on paper let, let's speak to each other um but actually that could be converted into a zoom call quite nicely we can see the whites of each other's eyes um you know they can decide whether they like the fact i'm wearing a suit or not um, and uh, and uh, and yeah, we can you know we, it it, go, it goes from there. So I do hope that this kind of technology does actually stick around, and I think I think it will do. To be honest with you, and I can see how it will benefit your your industry actually. Yeah, yeah, no, I think it's um, I think because I mean on on the bigger scale of side of things, we the amount of times you sit in, you sit you go to a design team meeting on on a on a very large project, and there'd be about ten twelve people in there, and you're sitting there for sort of four and a half four hours with a little break in between sometimes. And um, I mean, they've all been going on where I've been attending those via zoom and it's all gone. If anything, it's more efficient because people are wary about what they're, um, what, what, what they're, what they're actually saying um, and, and delivering rather than, and you kind of cut through half of the, the um, let's call chit chat stuff, which you really, you don't need to, don't need to get involved in and it's not really efficient. So um. So yeah, I think there's there's a, definitely an advantage from that side of things, um, and I mean just back to the, the I mean one of my long term goals is to, to develop like a client portal for projects, so you can have like a, an online portal for each project where the client can log in, anyone can log in and see the the tasks, um, the, the update, the status of the project. Um, it's a long way off, don't get me wrong, but I mean that's that's one of my one of my long term. Um, as this as this as this episode's going along, I'm just seeing that the comparisons between you and I are just ridiculous. I'm, I'm literally trying to do exactly the same thing as well because I think that that's the key as well. Is you know communication's been a been a real key part of what we've been discussing. Um, and sometimes, as I said, you know sometimes I'll have a client and and they just kind of want to be told that that there is no there's no update. But actually, exactly what you're saying, having come some kind of portal where your client could log in whenever they want to see you know all the documents that have been put together the communications between yourself and, and all the different uh, providers and, and all that sort of stuff so that they they themselves can, can pick it up yes okay it's nice for them to still get that report from you once a week and from my perspective you know it won't stop me from picking up the phone to say congratulations you know we've got our mortgage offer stuff you know things like that um but it just adds that extra level doesn't it for a, for a client would, would you um yeah, we're going off topic a little bit, but one thing in terms of that as well that I, I would I love is actually trying to add some kind of automation in there too, whereby when significant things happen throughout the process, there's an auto, automate, automated email or, or alert that's sent to the client to say um, it, something has changed. You know, come and come and have a look. You know, log into your portal to see it. Um, is that something that you think you, you would, would work well with with what you're working on as well? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, whether it would be app based or whether it would be an extension of the website, I'm not sure yet, or I haven't even looked into to be honest, really too much. But I mean, it's um, 
it's getting that balance of I've, I've worked on large projects where you are part of a what they call a dms like a document management system and it's a bit too you're getting a, you're getting a um a notification for like if the engineer opens up a drawing you know what i mean and there's a hundred of them and you come back to your emails and you've got about 150 of them because this engineer's gone a bit mad on on the M&E layout or something like that um so it's a, it's a fine balance really and i mean on the okay on the smaller side of things you're not going to be um that in depth um but it's but yeah it's it's definitely even even if it's a if it's a if it's a sort of periodic um update of, and it just an email or a notification just lists the changes which have occurred um but i think there is a limit for too much information um is not isn't good really i think it yeah. is um you need to you need to sort of manage that manage that process absolutely no no completely agree i've been i've been looking through our processes and i've actually worked out that our our sort of client journey for want of a, a less um cheesy phrase from literally just in inception all the way through to to not even completion probably two two stages after completion which is just follow up a few follow-up calls just to make sure they're okay as for that we, we could create about 40 different stages throughout that entire process and i imagine it could be even even greater in your line of work and it's mm. you're absolutely right it's managing those and actually thinking right at what which of those stages actually require maybe some kind of automated notification to go to to a client to, to make them aware of that change because a lot of the time it, it wouldn't so it's, it is finding that balance because initially you know when i was when i was sitting down and, uh, and and talking to a colleague of mine about this and what we could potentially implement we were thinking, well, look, we, we got all these stages An automated email can be sent to the client at every single stage just adds to the communication. But then you get to the problem that you, you mentioned where maybe it's too much and you've got to try and find, you know, those, those mm. elements throughout that process that are just the, the, the most important, I suppose. So um, something to definitely, definitely bear in mind. And I suppose that's, that, that goes for any business, really. Um, you know, adding in these kind of processes, this, it's, it's, it's the, the time now to be thinking about doing those sorts of things. So I'm sure a lot of people listening are, doing exactly the same to be honest it's uh it's it's, it's something I'm, I'm hearing a lot about well yeah no we've been um we've been reviewing our crm and our like automation strategy recently and i mean we've but historically we've used like pipe drive mm -hmm. um for like lead tracking database tracking and then obviously um tracking the timeline of the project on a quite a a basic format but it works really well um yeah. But then I can see as we as we hopefully grow. I mean, obviously, it's um, we're going to need a bit of a more robust system. And there's definitely other processes in the business that we can automate. So at the moment, we do we do invoices traditionally. We could definitely automate invoices. Um, quoting again is a big thing, which you need to get right. But it processes and it's quite time consuming quoting um, and getting the all the instruction documents up together. And again, I think there's there's areas of that which could be automated. Um, so yeah, we're just we're just currently reviewing and liaising with a few different um, providers to see what the best system is. Um, no, it's it, it's it's good, and I think there's a lot of people out there that are doing exactly the same thing. So um, I'm glad glad that we're we're all on the same page with that. But um, <laughs> but look, um, Alex, it's been it's been really great having you on today, and um, and I've, I've really I always say to people, I get people to come onto a podcast that I have questions for myself <laughs> because I I just want to know more about what they do and, and get a little bit of insight into into you know how they do things and how they see the market and, and experiences that they've had. So um, you definitely tick tick that box as, as you're very well. 
aware. Um, so I really appreciate you coming on and I know you're a busy guy, so um, spending the time chatting to me today. But um, look, for, for other people who have been listening in that maybe want to get in touch with you to talk through potential projects, things like that, um, what, what's the best way of, of them reaching out to you or following you online? Um, so I'm on, yeah, we're on social platforms, LinkedIn. LinkedIn I'm, uh, probably the, is, is the preferred. Um, Alex Hearn, um, Facebook and um, Instagram. I mean, we have also have company profiles on all of them. And our new website went live a couple of weeks back, which is www.silencehearn.co.uk. That's it, silence with two L's. That's a common mistake. Thinking about buying the domain for Silence Hearn because the amount of times we... That's not a bad. That's not a bad shout. You can you can <laughs> redirect it then, can you? Yeah, that's exactly. a, yeah, that's a good idea. Well, look, I'll make sure that all of those um, links are in the show notes, so everyone can um, can click on those nice and easy and get in touch with you, Alex. Um, but look, before I let you go, um, one question I've been asking everyone that I have on the on the podcast, which is you know a little bit of fun uh, to finish things off with, is because during, during lockdown, I have discovered um, something. Uh, or I've, I maybe not discovered, but I finally admitted to myself that I have a problem with this, which is I'm a huge chocoholic. Um, and if chocolate's in the house, doesn't just doesn't last very long. So I, 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 I'm, I'm starting to, to ask everyone now uh, what, what their favourite chocolate is, whether that's a bar or whether it's something else. That is tricky. You've caught me off guard with that one. Um, <laughs> so what I had the other day, which I hadn't had in ages, which I really enjoyed, was a drifter. Oh, yeah. Old school. Drifter. Yeah, that was that was good. That was good. But as a kid, I used to. Are they the ones with the? Is it is it orange and purple? The rapper? Have I got that right? Or is that double decker? That's double decker. But they're 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 not bad. Yeah, pretty good too. You've got the two. You've got the two thin ones, and it's like wafer caramel. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Old old school. That is. You don't see many of those around anymore. I always get excited no, when I no. see when I go when I go like to a corner shop and see see a chocolate that I've not seen in ages or you don't see very often. Like uh, I don't you don't see very many Caramacs anymore. I used to love a Caramac back in the day. Oh yeah, when I was a kid, yeah, yeah. they were. They that was my that was my after swimming class treat, the Caramac, straight out of the machine. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, but also the other thing is I need to ask you is, is when you do eat chocolate, is it is it out do you leave it in the fridge or do you have it at room temperature? Oh fridge, hundred percent. Really? Me and the um me and, the, me and the missus have a bit of a conflict about this. It has to be, has to be fridge or sometimes even freezer, mate. If oh, you're going to blast it, bang it in the freezer. No way. Fr- freezer? Yeah. That's going to break the teeth. You know, you've got a lovely smile, mate. I don't, don't want to cause any, any, issue, any issues there going forward. Sounds, it sounds like your missus has got the right idea. Room temperature. That's, that's how it's meant to be done for all those people listening. Yeah. Listen, don't yeah. listen to Alex. Listen to Alex on everything else that we've been talking about, but the chocolate, he knows, he knows nothing. Um, <laughs> cool. Well, look, Alex, thanks ever so much for today. Really, really appreciate it. And um, yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll organise maybe a part two at some point to, uh, to see how you guys have, have fared in the, uh, the months after lockdown. Perfect. Great stuff, Sam. Cheers, mate. Really appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. Well, there you have it. Another one bites the dust, as they say. But let me ask you a quick question. Did you enjoy this episode? If so, please do subscribe to the podcast as well as rating and reviewing it. This really does help me get my podcast out to more people and I'll be eternally grateful. 
As well as this, are you in property and wondering what to do at the moment? Well, if that's the case, I've set up a fantastic new Facebook group called Social Media for Property Investors. Check out the link in the show notes below and join us where we will discuss all the things that you need to know to smash it on social media. See you later.